That dog cannot come in here right now. She is jacked up. I'm going to put her out. She's insane. I'm going to put her out. Izzy. Izzy. You're insane right now. Here, you want a cup holder? Oh, thanks. You bought them, right? No, no, no. They came with an espresso order. They just sent them to me. Izzy. Izzy. Okay, girl. Out. Go. Go play amongst yourself. Oh, my gosh. She's crazy. She's a crazy animal. She got a bath. She got a bath and a trim. I don't know she's that happy. saying because she's clean is a reason that she's an insane dog. Well, if you're clean, doesn't that make you happy about it? Yeah, but I don't run around the house parkouring off of furniture, barking in people's faces, look at me, and then begging for treats at every hour. You sound cranky. I'm definitely not cranky, although I'll tell you, I, I, I keep having the same thought over and over since quarantine started. Yeah. Quarantine's ruined a lot for a lot of people, <laughs> and I'm not going to get into any of that. But for me personally, I can't stomach the idea of wearing anything that has a button or a zipper on it. <laughs> I can tell by what you've got on right now. I wear a tank top every single day. And I'm not a big the biggest fan of tank tops. I get it. I, I'm not either, but this is what happens, right? I, I don't have to get dressed to go to work because everybody's working from home. I didn't have to do that before. So I put on basketball shorts, some kind of sweat shorts. I'll put on sweats if it's cooler outside, which it's not anymore. And then I just have this line of tank tops that just keep coming and going say strange things and i'll tell you this i think to myself like oh this is stupid why are you wearing a tank top again why are you wearing shorts again but then when broached with the idea that i can wear a shirt and jeans i don't want to do any of that not even jeans no it seems like a a clothing prison for me (laughs) it's just keeping me bound too tight Within the fabric that is my clothing. I hate it. <clears throat> Unbelievable. <laughs> we're not going, are we? Of course we're going. When, is this, <laughs> when has this ever not started with us, I looked with at me your, talking? I looked at your clock and didn't think we were. You can take that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. No, you have At to. all. I already told you <clears throat> what was happening. Okay, that part you can take out. Okay. You so should he, see the audio on this because it shows the inflection. <laughs> it has just been spiking the last okay. so here's 30 what I, seconds. Here's what I want to say, though, about the tank top because it is. I'm not happy about it either. <laughs> it's not anything top. I'm proud of. I'm but not wait, sitting here being like, like, hey, that tank life is what I'm about. It's just what I was given. <laughs> if one of your friends came over, would you still, and you knew, like you looked at the ring doorbell, you saw who it was. Would you leave the tank top they on? They need to accept me for who I am right now. And right now I'm tank top Kevin. <laughs> okay? Uh, so somewhere somewhere for, parenting so stopped. So attractive and for a viewing audience. Somewhere t- parenting stopped and I was given my own free will and this is what I decided to do with it. And I'm not proud about it. <laughs> I'm not either. Let me just say that. All right. Let's start the podcast. Welcome to the Deb and Kev podcast. One is a Harvard Business School alum. The other is her son. Discussing business, pop culture, family, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Deb and Kev. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the Deb and Kev podcast. That right there, she's Deb. I'm Deb. She's my mom. I'm Kev. I'm her son, and this is our podcast. No better time than now to get into everything, so let's just get into it. We got so much to cover today, all right? Last week, first thing we did was we introduced a new segment, and we called it Take It Back. Oh, right? Yeah, take it back. And when we finished recording back. last week's episode, you kind of gave me a wry smile. And you said, <laughs> you're going to have a take it back next week. Like you were proud of it that uh, I well, was going if, to have a take back. First of all, if we had visuals here right now, like if we were on TV or mm-hmm. being taped or something, which we're not. Don't, you're about to step on my take back that okay. you have you okay. have. So you're going to fully take it back? Or well, is I it mean, like- I, I guess I have to because it's the honor system and we kind of prefaced the segment with with we're going to be above board. And if there's things that we're thinking about, we're not going to let the overall score dictate whether or not we take it back. So I, I, it, and we're it, at 2-2 right now? No, we're at 
I want to say like you have two and a half. I have one and a half. You tried to break one of yours in half to give to me. So we'll we'll call it three, two. A three, two? No, no, wait. No, wait. Yeah, no, we three. round up. And take it back, we round up. Okay. Three, two. So here's my deal. No, no, no. You don't get to talk about mine. I don't have any That's take fine, backs. because you're a liar. What you forced me to take back almost immediately upon the conclusion of last week's episode <laughs> is when I was explaining how I make my breakfast, mm-hmm. I said I mash up frozen berries, which are thawed, with the butt end of a potato masher. That's what you said. And that is factually inaccurate. It it's just is not true. the butt end, but it's not a potato masher. It's a meat tenderizer. And how big of a meat tenderizer? Well, it's huge because it was from like the 1800s or whatever. Some restaurant right. in the 1800s. And, yeah. and in theory, anything can be a potato masher. So I guess we're just playing, you know, semantics. But it is, in fact, a meat tenderizer that I use the butt wooden end as kind of like a, a, a masher that that helps, you know, break up all the berries. So that's mine. And so I, at this point, that, that leads us to 3-3. Three, three. Three, Do you feel good about forcing me to take that back? Because literally nobody would have ever known and nobody would have ever cared. But here we are. Well, it's really big, number one. And I mean, it's it's... it's it's medieval. It's medieval. That's it. it here, here's the thing about if it. If you saw it hanging on a uh, 1700s era castle in England, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that thing has killed many people. Exactly. That's what it looks like. And at first, if you remember when you first started using it to mash up your berries, mm-hmm. I said, it's staining. Oh, yeah. It's the big end of the wood because it's raw wood. Now. But I think it's adding character to it now. Because you think it looks like blood. Well, I don't think it lo- – I mean, it looks like blood, and that's not why I'm, like, attracted to it. But I think it's going to be a fun story to tell at some point. I'm sure it's a story full of lies that will have great entertainment value. Whenever you can put colors that resemble blood on food handling instruments, <laughs> you got to do it. Uh, you so got wrong. to You're do so it. You're so wrong. But we're at 3-3 now because I don't have any takebacks from last week. I'm sure some more will be coming without no, question. Absolutely. We talk way too much about – too much ridiculous stuff. So I read something. Mm-hmm. That, Proud of you. <laughs> I read something that at first, well, I didn't know if it was right or wrong. It felt like a big number to me. It said that between before a child turns 18, mm-hmm. they have 4,200 arguments with their parents. 4,200? 4,200, 4, but wait. Is that th- the average number? That's like average. They don't start counting until, they don't count zero through two. Okay. So, but I know two-year-olds that can argue. Sure. I will tell you that. But they don't start. So, so I figured out the math. It means that it's like almost twenty-two arguments a month. There's twenty work days in the month. So that means you're barely getting a break. You're arguing every work day of the month plus one weekend. Are you assuming it's the child that's bringing the argument to the no, table? No, 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 no. They argue. It just means the parent and the child argues. So let's it's, make this no personal. Fault. There's How no many fault. times do you think we argued in my youth? Not 4,200, well, do you, you think? say that, but I mean, like, I wasn't Do you think we argued kid. every day? No. God, no. No. I don't know that we would have a friendship if we argued <laughs> no. every day. No, neither of us has the tolerance for that. No. No. I mean, we would, like, begrudgingly get along. I also don't think we care enough about enough. To, to want to belly up to the bar for right. an argument. Right. Um, and th- so they went on to define argument. Yep. And it could be like a child screaming at a parent, I hate you, you know, and sure. slamming their door. I don't think I ever said that to you. Well, no, because we had a rule. Yeah, we don't say that. We don't say that. We don't say that. Can't yeah. walk that back. That's a tough one to walk That's back. That's a tough one to walk back. It hurts. Even if a little kid is saying it. And Yeah. No, but we had a talk early on. We were at someone's house. The people, if they're listening to this, and maybe they are. Um, know who they are, and they have a daughter that's close to your age, but a son that was a few years older. And he had a fit while we were at their house and was screaming at the mom how he hated her. He hated her. And I couldn't get you in the car fast enough to say, we don't do that ever, ever. We can't take it back. It'll hurt our feelings. It would hurt you if I said it. It would hurt dad. You don't want to say it to us. And we sort of never did. Yeah. I don't think there was much that ever really happened outside of normal teenage angst that would have ever elicited that. Uh, I hate you. You probably thought it, I'm sure. Oh, 
100%. without doubt. I was I wondered how I was given the world's worst parents from the age of like fourteen to seventeen for sure. But hey, I never yeah. expressed it out loud. Do you remember once you accused us of grounding you just so we could spend time? Yeah, with you? I stand by that. Having having oh. lived now 35 years and knowing the relationship <laughs> that we have, and we have a really, I mean, as functional, healthy relationship as humanly possible. Even at 35, I think there are moments where I, <laughs> I think to myself, oh, she's mad because you're not hanging out with her right now. So certainly at an impressionable age when you could think to yourself, oh, my gosh, there's so much stuff that he could be getting into that could affect his life in such a negative way. I just want him around this house. I could absolutely see you making some kind of straw man argument as to why (laughs) I needed to be grounded. So maybe we did have 4,200 arguments. I don't know. But you were not that delightful to be around during the ages of 14 to 17. So I would have been happy to have let you go do things. Painfully normal. Oh, no, no. You were totally in the range of normal. But that doesn't mean that you were completely delightful the whole time. Oh, sure. No, that's fair. You know. I mean, but that's 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 par for the course, right? You know what? We could have a segment called. Mm, Yeah, I can't wait for this. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to use the word stupid, but it's about you. Mm -hmm. Stupid things Kevin did when he was in high school. Yeah, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Super duper fun to talk about the things. That's what that's what I love about this podcast. But I hate is is I like to talk to you about things that happened in your life when you were growing up, right? That's something we talk about off air all the time. That Reese's peanut butter cups only cost a nickel. Right. I think that kind of stuff is great. And you tell me how the business world used to be. And you tell me what it was like when you were growing up and this, that, and everything else. I don't have any anonymity with how I grew up because you were there for it. So all the embarrassing stuff, all the secrets, all the things that anybody else who came into my life now or later would never be privy to, all they have to do is go talk to you about it. And that seems well, I'm sure horribly I don't know unfair. Everything. I think you you know most of the embarrassing things. Well, you did go through a whole period of time. Oh, this would have been premature cell phone time, you know, oh, where you didn't understand that you could lock it, lock the keys, and so you would butt dial constantly the house. Well, you couldn't lock it. You could. Well, maybe they were Nokia's. They were had. Okay. They had like the <laughs> the buttons that were like for Braille. You like you couldn't lock that. If it was in your pocket and something got mashed, you you were you were at the whim of whoever it called. So it always called the house, and we always because you were probably the only people I ever actually called. And we would listen to whatever was going on. And it, it was always during Bible study, <laughs> and you know, um, just fun group activities where it was wholesome, happy. Everybody was above board, doing great things. Like that one time. Oh my when you God! Were in if you say if you say something, and you guys were this is, out, I, I protest everything that's about to be said. Writing your name in the snow <laughs> sounds sounds very wholesome you and fun. Exactly I have no idea. Finish your story. See, about. finish your story. This is this is my hell. <laughs> this is my hell. There is no anonymity <laughs> for me growing up, and so you just have like this arsenal oh. of stories to be able so, to tell. It's 9 o'clock our time, Pacific Standard Time. Right. I went and to school back east, just north of Boston, a little liberal arts school. Went to school in Boston, school. so it's midnight back there. And the phone rings, and hello, and uh, I just hear this raucous laughter, and I recognize one of the voices is yours. And then I hear you yell at a couple of people, so I know you're with guys on the basketball team. Yep. And then I hear you scream at the top of your lungs, I'm writing my name in pee in the snow. I liked people to know what I was doing, so they <laughs> knew I, I was just, safe. Thought, hang up now, Deb. Hang up. And that was the extent of the night. I think I went home shortly thereafter, went to bed, got a, got a strong eight hours, and was got productive and the very the next, next day. Yep. Good man. Okay. Well, that's the worst segment we've ever done in our entire <laughs> life. Let's avoid that moving forward. Can you edit it out if we have to? No. I, I, I mean, I'd like to think so, but then that kind of ruins. So then we have a new segment. No, I don't like that segment. Okay. I don't like that segment Well, there's a couple all. I don't like, mm, so here we go. Don't like that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Don't like that segment. Don't want that to ever come back. Um, So let's get into it. This is the third part of our four-part series about being able to talk about hiring, training, management, and then eventually firing, letting go, having people walk out. So let's get into it. Let's talk about management. We're we're not going to get lost in the weeds here because we could spend days talking about this. Days and days and days. So I'm going to let you um, lead the conversation, and then I'm just going to add my two cents here and there. So when you said we were going to talk about management, 
and I realized that our podcast was not going to last for like 14 hours. Right. I felt like, you know, I needed to give people a reference. You have notes. Can, right I, now you have notes. Person, and I, that well, is foreign I concept. Say, it's in pencil on the back of an envelope. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's, it's some it's janky looking notes, but it's real Incredibly notes. sophisticated and um, really well thought out. Okay? Sure. Love it. So, uh, the best for the listening audience. The Thoroughly best. thought out on the back of an envelope. <laughs> back of an envelope that's going to be shredded immediately, immediately. after this podcast. Trade secrets. Yep. Okay? So uh, I love, there's a book that I love. Whenever anybody asks me, often when I speak, somebody will say, hey, what's a book you've read lately? Or mm-hmm. what do you recommend? One of the books that I always recommend, and I think it's like 19 years old now because it was written in 2001, is Good to Great by Jim Collins, I think his name is. I'll look that up. Look that up while I, um, but Good to Great is the book. I love the book, and I really do think it's um, like a Bible for management style. But one of the things it does is it starts with, is it Jim? C. Collins, yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, One of the things it does, it starts with leadership. And if you don't know who you are as a leader and who you want to be as a leader, then it's probably not going to go good for you managing people. And one of the things that leaders typically fail to do is really say, this is the kind of leader I want to be. And then like train themselves to be that kind of person. They're actively in that mindset of this is the person I want to be. This is how I'm going to treat others. Yep. So in a nutshell, in a nutshell, um, Jim Collins talks about disciplined people, disciplined thought, and disciplined action. So one of the things he talks about, the people that you hire on your bus, and I mean, if they're not the right people, you're not going to get where you want to go. I mean, number one, you need to be a disciplined leader. And he also talks about, which I happen to love this, I know almost every business loves to have a vision statement, and often it's written once and nobody could ever repeat it again. Mm But he talks about a vision statement. It's like, this is really where we want to go. And we talk about it all the time. And we're living to that, you know. And so that's that's a very disciplined approach, right? That everybody should know it and be on the same page as it. So he talks about intense determination and profound humility is what makes a good leader. And I agree wholeheartedly. Because I think that intense determination is the part that is the actual leading part. Mm -hmm. And then I think the profound humility, meaning there are going to be missteps, there are going to be places that we're going to be led that don't work. That's the part that really allows us to trust the leader. Right. Um, And and that that kind of makes me think about all of us can reference one to three bosses who we just hated, right? Under no circumstances would we ever go back to work for them again or want to work for anybody like them again so why so often do we encounter people who would would speak ill of the way they were managed yet somehow decided that they want to manage in the same way and will say to you well you don't know how it was when i right. was coming I mean, is that the up worst and they describe right. some horrible scenario with some terrible boss right totally so um one of the things that i like and this is a term he uses um when you're hiring um, I mean, the kind of people you're looking for. And we mm-hmm. talked about that last week. Humble learners with a steadfast resolve. And I think that that's that, that piece where we can be very skilled. You can have great skills in marketing, finance, you know, whatever they may right. be. But you need to go into a company learning what they're about and where they want to go. That is more important than anything. And I do think that requires a little bit of humility to be able to do that. Sure. I used that example last week of not knowing any of the acronyms and aviation company I worked for. And uh, honestly, it was really, really difficult for a while. So I think the point is disciplined people, you've got to get the right ones on the bus. And if they're not the right ones, let them go sooner than later, which we'll talk about next week, the letting go. Um, The second part is disciplined thought. And when he talks about, and this would go, I think, into training and to leadership and management, all of it. Lead with questions, not answers. Um, we don't need anybody just sitting and pontificating to us, but we really want to know. I mean, we should be hiring people that have talents we don't have. Right. Therefore, the learning goes both ways, mm-hmm. right? And I think if you're leading with questions, not answers, then that's how the it builds confidence in the employee, and it gives them the bandwidth to be successful 
in their own arena within your corporation. Right. And, and that makes me think about, you know, it, it, uh, as an employer, as a manager, as a boss, as an owner, the, you, you think ideally you want to surround yourself with people who are like you, right? And that's true up until a point. But in order to be truly successful, you have to have people that don't think like you at all because they're going to be able to see the, the pitfalls or the shortcomings of an idea that you and your team of like-minded people aren't necessarily going to be able to see, right? Because you're all on the same page, which is, which is good and it's also bad. So is the idea that I, the, the, the perfect, quote-unquote, perfect team is a heavy balance of what works for you and what kind of mirrors you while simultaneously having people who can think outside of your box? Well, if I, <clears throat> I were to use you for an example. Okay. And last week you, you told us that you, your, what did, what did you say? Your worst nightmare was having to go to a cubicle every day? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, I know you pretty well and feel free to interrupt and correct me if I'm wrong. But you dirty detail kind of work um, all day long would kill you because you're pretty creative. Sure. And so it's not that you can't do that work. But you can do it for a limited amount I of time. I find no purpose in that work. Right. Then you need to move on to the creative work, which you do find purpose right. in. Right. But if you were the owner of a company and you're being creative all the time, you need the people that actually thrive on the details. The people that, I mean, really find great purpose and passion. Of course. In that kind of work. And, um, I mean, you won't you won't survive if you only hire the people that are just like you. However... Creative people love other creative people to bounce ideas off, to brainstorm right. with, and then they need people that can go and execute some of the stuff that they came up with. Right. So you're right. It's a it's a myriad of everything. And I think a lot of people, um, especially in small businesses, hire people that they're comfortable with. They're people that are just like them. Mm -hmm. They end up with a whole office of people that are the same as them. And I think they're probably pretty easy for them to manage. But... I think there's a ton of work that doesn't get done and a kind of ton of goals that aren't accomplished because they're too because they don't have diversity. Got it. Yeah. Um, one of the other things under the discipline thought engage in dialogue and debate, not coercion. And certainly as a leader and a manager, there's times where you have to just say, Hey, this is the way it's going to be. It's for the best of the company and it's probably not up for a vote, but you know, more often than not, you want it to be thoughtful dialogue because that's when people really will come along with you. And also, it's when you realize that sometimes they have better answers than you do. And right. you, then you get to incorporate those in to the plan, whatever it is. A lot of humility, though, that has to come a with that. A lot of humility with that. Yep. You've got to be comfortable being wrong sometimes. Um, one of the things that he says that I like, just because it's so graphic, he says, conduct autopsies without blame. And I think that's really like when something has gone awry, something hasn't worked, like you've got to be able to talk about it. That, I mean, as a manager, you've mm -hmm. got to be able to talk about it. And I think creating an environment where it's safe to talk about it and everybody can have a voice in it so that everyone can kind of see all the different parts of how it didn't work so that that won't be repeated right. is like one of the biggest healthy, I'm just going to say healthy business things ever. It could change the face of a company. So you're, you're kind of pounding the, the transparency drum yep. right now yep. where even as a manager – you, you want people to be on the same page and the easiest way for people to be on the same page is by sharing the successes as well as the faults and iterating and reiterating and truly understanding what's working and being honest about it without casting aspersions or pointing the finger. Right. I mean, every I think one of the things, and it says this in Good to Great, it talks about managing different personalities. And one of the things it says is that the good managers of the world recognize that every personality is different and doesn't want to be managed exactly the right. same and that they adapt themselves to what, you know, each employee would need. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you value um, extra time off as a reward, for instance, if that's a thing, I mean, that's way better to you than money, you know, take, right. take Friday. You did a great job. Take Friday off. Mm -hmm. Now you have a three day weekend. I mean, if I don't know that about you, then I'm going to be giving you things that you honestly don't value and aren't really seen as a true reward. Don't resonate with me at all as a, as a gift. As a gift, exactly. And if, if what it, in some cases it's money, in some cases 
it's an experience. I mean, a manicure, pedicure, something like that, for example. But I think to know the difference, the different employees value different things. Um, and also, too, then it's the way you talk to them. It's the way you treat them that you talk like I speak to you in a way that you can hear it. Well, that was going to be one of my questions is as an especially as a business owner. Yes, you are in charge, right? The buck stops with you. You sign the pay- the paychecks. But ultimately, it's your job as the business owner to keep your employees happy. It's not it's not the inverse of that. And I think we're starting to learn that here um, as of within the last three years that the onus of the workplace being functional and uplifting and positive isn't on the shoulders of the employees, it's on the shoulders of the management. And if you're able to keep those employees happy, if you're able to speak their language, find out what you know incentivizes them the most and not treat them all the same, but treat them as individuals, the, the lifespan with for them with your company is infinitely longer than if you're just saying, well, hey, this is how we do business here. Either, you know, ship up or shape out. Shape right. up or ship out. Shape up or ship out. Right. And I think that's foreign to a lot of people that as a manager, you would be saying, how can I twist and contort myself to make them feel better, to make their experience something that is positive and resonates with them and wants to keep them here longer as opposed to, well, they should just be happy that they have a job. I, I agree. And I think one of the things, one of um, the things that he is trying to tell us in the book as well is that we go back to the vision again, that everybody knows why they're there, which becomes the purpose, right. which becomes the satisfying piece of it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows why they're there. They know that they're valuable. I mean, he, you know, we take the discipline piece of it again, but team members are afforded the degree of personal empowerment, which is really hard for a lot of managers totally. to say, hey, I mean, like you are actually the expert in this. Run with it. Right. Of the people that you've um, had business dealings with, uh, whether as a coach or working alongside, how many times has somebody said to you, I'm a hands off manager? And how many times has that been? literally the polar opposite so more uh, often than not i I feel like the people that say that a lot are actually micromanagers totally i mean like little tiny things and so if any kind of i guess a future warning to anybody if they'd ever want to work with me but when people announce themselves as perfectionist i always just liar (laughs) what liar liar um i always just look at them and say well no you're just perfect in the way that you like things done. Right. I mean, because that's really the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, there's not perfection. Of course It not. doesn't exist. Totally. I mean. When, it, I, when I was working with Dinner Lab, I would tell people morning, noon, and night, we strive for perfection every single event, but we know that's totally unattainable. Well, and, and Dinner Lab would be a good example. You had different crews in every city that Correct. you worked in. Yep. And I probably, if I had videos on it, would have said, well, oh, New Orleans set up like that and St. Louis set up like that. And in some cases, it was entirely different, but you got the end result. For sure. Because they all knew what the vision was, Mm -hmm. where you needed to be. And so, um, you know, nobody likes to be micromanaged because micromanagement just basically means I don't trust you. Right. You know, the other part of it is so many people came up within their own businesses. I mean, they did a lot of it, you know, in the beginning and they don't now. But they're not the experts anymore. The people that are doing it are truly the experts. And it doesn't mean that the owner doesn't have an opinion. Of course they do, and a really valuable one. But really, if they would stay busy leading and reminding the people of where they're going and why they're going there and help to remove the impediments that are in the staff's way to actually clear those objectives. Including themselves. Including themselves, if that's what it is. Then, I mean everything they want for their business would happen. And I'm not just talking about like growth or, you know, profit or success. It would be a healthy, happy place to work. Yeah. People would want to come there. And when people want to come to your business to work, that's the perfect thing because then you get to pick from the best. And I mean, I think that's, I think that's what Jim Collins is talking about. I think it's relevant today. He has other books. I don't remember the name of them, but people can certainly Google it. And, um, I mean, it's still one of the best, best, best um, books that I've read. 
I am going to leave you with a quote. Yeah, I was going to say, put put a bow on this, and then I have one follow-up question. And this takes us into next week as oh, well. So a little this teaser is, for you. Yeah, yeah. Look at you a already learned the here. lingo of the podcast world. So when talking about managing people, mm-hmm. Jim Collins says, the moment you feel the need to tightly manage someone, you've made a hiring mistake. Bang. I like, I like that a lot because I, I agree with that too. So here's my last question. And this is something I, I just kind of thought about when, when I was thinking about coming up with ideas for, for management. As employers, you have this idea that 40 hours a week, your employee is going to work for you, like hard, do everything that's required, you're going to get 40 hours a week out of like them. a dog like a dog <laughs> right so when we think of employees we literally think of the perfect person somebody who punches in at nine busts their butt till lunch punches out eats for an hour punches back in busts their butt till five goes home right right that is so insane to think that anybody in 2020 with all the distractions around us can do that. I mean, at the point that food service people can take breaks from what they're doing, right, to check their phone, to talk with one another, and we know that that is just a churn and burn, right? If, if it's a busy night at a restaurant, you're covering 10 tables, you're picking up food, you're dropping off bills. I mean, eight hours can go by like that. But even then, people find those moments to be distracted. So in an office setting, in a cubicle with, you know, Tim stopping by to talk about, you know, the the football game that weekend or or Donna coming to show you kids of her of her pictures of her grandchildren. There's distractions everywhere. So honestly, and you might not have the answer to this, what are what is a true expectation of an employee in today's climate? Because that is insane to think that you're going to get 40 hours a week every week for the entirety of that person's so you, you are maybe not going to get 40 hours, and you're right. Um, and I think people that have worked in offices and then worked at home realize if it's just about the work, when you're home, you can knock it out pretty darn fast totally. because there's no distractions, right? right? Um, I think that the problem is, I think in a lot of cases, there's 40-plus hours of work to be done. And then people aren't working 40 hours a week. Okay. So there's that, always that feeling of being behind. Um, but I think that's a really good question, Kev. I mean, and I'm not sure I've come across it before, but I think it's a really good question because Thank you. if as an owner, I realize, I mean, I have you in here working 40 hours a week, but I'm really only getting 36 out of you. Just, I'm just going to call it for the minute just because, mm-hmm. right? Um, then I Then the work needs to be adjusted to some degree because otherwise... I'm going to have you four hours behind all the time every week, and that's going to add up. Right. I mean, so then we're going to miss deadlines and things. But I think it's something to consider. I I will say this. A thousand years ago, I was a manager at an insurance company, and I had a a desk that was out. I mean, people could see me. I could see them. And they were in cubicles. And I realized I I would get to work, you know, start at 8 o'clock every morning, and we all know that I'm the type that – walks in at 7.59. I don't get there at 7.30. Cool. Humble brag. No, no, no. There's no brag on that. Number one employee. I should have been there dead. earlier. I, I get oh, there. Oh, you're trying to say, oh, no, got it. You're I'm saying you person. weren't the best employee. I, no, no. I slide in the door. So I'm thinking in my head like, I'm <clears throat> supposed to start at 8. Yeah, 8.15 sounds like a reasonable time to <laughs> hunker down to the desk. It could have been 8.15 too. Um, but I'm the one that slides in. and I, And so therefore, I slide in. I still have to go get a cup of coffee. Right. I totally. Mean, so I'm doing all that on company time. For right? sure. And um, one of the things that I remember watching, I probably had eight or 10 underwriters that worked for me. And I would watch them each get their coffee. And some did come in really early yeah. and start when it was quiet. And each go to each and visit. I mean, like they'd all gone to each, totally. each other's Just cubicle. checking in. Just checking yeah. in every single morning. And like at 930, it finally got quiet. And people were working. So an hour and a half into the work. An hour day. and a half times how many people? Yeah. Like it was crazy. And I, I remember I finally did take issue with that and say, hey, could we just have like a 15 minute gathering and then get to work? With yeah, because that, that's that work? a day you were losing 15 hours. Which is just a little plug here is I am a proponent and a believer of a quick morning huddle 
just everybody getting together. Mm-hmm. What's I about you were our say hug at first? No, <laughs> quick morning really huddle, and uh, per, like per department, and that satisfies some of that too. Like to do that in, I'm going to say five to fifteen minutes. That's great. Yeah, put a bow on it. We love Jim Collins. Jim Collins. Thank God for from good to great, um, and really the kind of manager you are, if it, you're going to create the kind of employees that you are, it's a mere reflection. So if you're not going doing a good job, that's what you're going to end up with. I love it. I think that's great. I agree with all of that. I think bad managers are bad managers, and it's because they refuse to take uh, any outside counseling or to take any perceived criticism to heart. And the best managers are the ones who can ebb and flow with what's demanded of the job and the people that surround them. And they want to learn and grow. They look yep. at that as a thing, like like getting in shape for a marathon. They look at that as part of their own personal growth. Are you good with that? I'm good with that. Do you have anything prior to me launching into this next topic that I don't think is going to be scary for you at all? But is there... Is it the one I hate? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't think we'll do one-minute hypothetical this week, unless you really want to. No, let's skip it, because we talked a lot about management. We talked a lot about management. So, and I hate it. So uh, one of the things as we transition out of business to kind of our personal lives, one of the things that Deb and I truly love is food. Like we are <laughs> food people. And there's not going to be a podcast where we don't mention food. We love it. I mean, we close the podcast by asking what's for dinner, which we will again do today. Oh, we love it. It might be a repeat dinner though. Like so the amount of conversation in this household about food <laughs> yeah. is nauseating. Like it's almost nauseating to me, but I, I'm a active participant in it it's nauseating. i mean we talk about food all the time Mm. right right or wrong we talked about it before we even started this like (laughs) 10 minutes before we started about this podcast well i was making the juice and you said are you gonna eat well because you said i'm starving (laughs) i'm starving (laughs) and i said well are you gonna eat and you said are you gonna eat and i said no i don't want to eat because I don't want to have anything that gets stuck in my throat or I have to clear my throat like you did on air earlier. But you're taking that out. I'm not taking any of it out okay, now. Now I've referenced horrible. it twice. Yeah, that's, it was. Okay, then that's going to be a take back next week and I'm going to be ahead of you. Night, that if I'm sitting down and I'm talking oh. in front of the microphone, oh this sucker's God. live. So right now you're drinking celery juice, <laughs> right? Because it helps you kind of uh, be satiated from a hung- hunger standpoint. And it's disgusting, but I drink it as well. And I think it probably tides me over for an hour, hour and a half. I think that celery juice uh, kills cravings. Right. Like sugar cravings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sugar for sure. So then here's a question for you. We are both gluten-free, begrudgingly. Like we don't, we're not sitting here with the belief that we're better than anybody because we're gluten-free. We sit in a pool of sadness because we can't eat gluten, right? Like, I love gluten. Anything that has gluten on it, sign me up for it. I dream about sourdough bread. I know. Yeah. I dream about deep fried everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then here's my question for you. If, If your immune system wasn't just the worst and you could actually metabolize gluten in a normal healthy way that doctors didn't think was cancer which is a true story your your gluten allergy is so severe that they thought it was they thought i had colon cancer colon cancer and they're like oh no it's worse it's a gluten allergy you're silly <laughs> well the, the truth was uh, the matter was after i got all the tests done they said you know if it's like bad news the doctor will call you right. but if it's all okay we'll just send you a letter mm-hmm. so the letter came and i opened it up and it said hey good news you don't have colon cancer bad news is you're a severe severe celiac quit eating gluten immediately and, you know, there should have been a really long period of time of good news. You don't have cancer. I think that was the saddest day of our lives. into bad news. I think that was the saddest day of our lives. Yes. I agree. So here's my question to you. Yes. If gluten was an option and you could eat whatever you wanted to eat, what would you eat right now? Because you're hungry, too. So this is like a perfect question to ask you. Okay. So this meal is not going to go well together. I don't care. Okay. It's whatever you want to eat. There's no judgment here. All right. I'm going to have, well, sourdough bread for sure. From where? I like that family loaf at Whole Foods. Got it. That That's big like one. It's like $5 and feeds a family of 30. Yeah. It's yeah. just enormous, but it's really crusty mm-hmm. on the outside and beautifully soft and tender on yep. the inside. 
I'm going to slather it with butter and some kind of seasoning over the top, garlic mm-hmm. or something, and I'm going to put it under the broiler and make garlic bread. Got it. What are you dipping it in? Oh, I might dip it in like a little olive oil, balsamic oh, kind yeah, of thing. Oh, yeah, Love that yeah. for you. Yep. Yeah. What else? I'm going to have a giant dish of real pasta. Ooh, what kind? Um, I don't know. I might just be happy to have like spaghetti and bolognese meat I think sauce. Fasilli. Fasilli? Is that the Is that the one? The, the twisty one. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. You can have that. Because then like the sauce gets stuck in those little. It does. That's one good thing. Oh, grades. no, no, no. I might have, uh, I might have a penne. I Ooh, love penne. Penne's good too because yeah. then it gets literally inside of it. Yeah. And they're tender. Yeah. I mean, real pasta. It's and so And what's tender. the sauce on the pasta? I think I'm going to do like a meat sauce, like a bolognese or something like that. Cheese on top? Lots of cheese on top. Spinach? Yeah, sure. What That'd else? Be good. Um, some kind of dessert that would... Yeah. Talk to me about dessert. Rise and puff. Mm-hmm. Like a souffle? <laughs> Although no, I don't not think like souffles a, have flour. Have a souffle. Yeah, yeah, we can have souffle. <laughs> Screw that. Um, like a bread pudding? Oh, a bread pudding would be great. Even like a really good cake a really good cho- like your birthday cake love a good chocolate cake good chocolate oh cake. my gosh i think about chocolate cake all the time a like good birthday a cake. thick ganache right yeah. in the middle and that kind of it almost looks wet yeah the, the, the yeah. cake the chocolate is yep. yeah oh so my God. good I love so that. good so i um but i might then just wait a minute because it says you know keep going no ride this pony ride it ride this pony out a really good but i want to say like a from a paris Croissant. Got like it. A really we, good. I mean, we snap our fingers. It's all right it's here. It's going to be right there. Yeah. A yeah. pan de chocolat. Oh, that would make me so happy. It's my favorite. Yeah. I love I love everything that you just said. Like, I feel like my stomach is blowing up just saying this. Probably. Yeah. So I actually haven't been tested for celiac disease, but I did the 21 and Me, mm-hmm. And um, it gives you, it also looks at kind of like your DNA to see what you're susceptible to. And it says I'm at a higher risk for celiac disease. Which actually makes sense because if I was to introduce gluten back into my system, it would just be explosive, to say the least. <laughs> so I just avoid it, and I feel better about it. And um, again, I'm not proud of it. I, I actually am self-loathing about it. Um, but here we are. So I saw this thing the other day, and it has been stuck in my brain forever. I am a huge fan of Raising Cane's. Great. They do oh the chicken, chicken yep. fingers. Yep, All yep, they do is yep. chicken fingers. They do chicken fingers, fries. Texas toast where they butter each side and they put it on the grill. And then if you want, you can do coleslaw. I don't ever have them do the coleslaw. I just do double Texas toast, right? But I don't do it anymore. But I saw this thing the other day. What they did was they took the Texas toast and they cut it down the middle. Okay. <laughs> no. What are you watching? Was this a I, commercial? I, I, this is like masochistic things that I watch on Instagram because <laughs> I know I can't eat them. So I'm just like berating myself by watching these videos over and over. They cut the Texas toast down the middle so it almost looks like a hot dog bun. Okay. Then they put the chicken inside. So it's like the the chicken finger inside the hot dog bun. Yeah. They pour the sauce on the side, the special sauce. Then if you have the coleslaw, they put the coleslaw on the other side. Oh, I can get behind this. So now it's like a sandwich. And then on the same side with the sauce, they, they shove some of the fries in there. Oh, fries too. I mean, tell me that's not. Yeah. That's like some weird version of a um, Thanksgiving sandwich after the day after. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've thought about that morning, noon, and night, and it makes me so happy to think about while simultaneously so depressed that I can't actively go eat it. You got to tell the honest truth, and we're looking at each other right now. Okay. I'm staring at you in the eyes, (laughs) waiting for this question. If you weren't with me, Mm -hmm. and we have a raising canes in our town, we'd have two of them. Oh, oh, we do? Yeah. Okay, I only know about the one. Uh, would you drive over there by yourself and order that and do it? Right now? Not like right now, but like on a day if you were out and about. Uh, No, because I genuinely feel better not eating gluten. Um, Maybe if I was super duper hungover and I already felt like a POS, I would just introduce that into my system and be like, well, hey, we've already wasted one day. What's I'm another ruined. one? So, yeah. What's another one? I would also do a double pepperoni from Round Table. Oh my gosh, Round Table is a pizza place here. So good. So much pepperoni, so much cheese. Does it's, Round Table do gluten free? No, I don't oh. think so. And it's just so indulgent. If you could give me the Cane's makeshift sandwich with a large double pepperoni and like 
a friggin' gallon of iced Dr. Pepper or Diet Coke. Like, pff, fat kid heaven for Kevin. So fat if I ever just happen to think, because you will never admit that you are hungover in front of me, but if I ever happen to And you to smell think, canes on my breath? You're like, oh, <laughs> if yeah. I just shoved that at your door, yeah. that would be a good thing to do. A thousand percent. So name, and they can be, I, I want you to use a variety of cities because you've lived in a lot of different mm-hmm. places. Name a meal at a restaurant that you would cheat on the gluten thing for. Like, isn't there a burger place in New Orleans? Yeah, Company Burger. Okay. So think of um, In-N-Out. Yeah. Made with the love and care of, of an artisan burger mm. crafter, right? Is, so it a good bur- is it a good bun? Brioche bun, mm, griddle yeah. burger, yeah. melted cheese, bread and butter pickles, mm. um, onion with a sauce. It is heavenly, and they you can get the option of fries, onion rings, or tater tots. Are they good fries? And they, They're good fries. I think the tater tots are better. And then they have a little... Buffet setup of sauces, oh, so nice. you can choose from that as well. I mean, that's really okay. Really so good. let's just go by city, Boston. What would you do in Boston? Where would you cheat? I don't know. It's been a while since I've been there. I'd probably go um, get a roast beef sandwich. Oh, I was gonna say um, Red's pancakes. I mean, yeah, but I wouldn't get pancakes there. I'd go up to the Ritz oh. at the Lake and get those lemon pancakes. Yeah, the Ritz at the Lake. Oh, those are. Okay, I'm officially depressed. Okay, this yeah, conversation. Too, we're gonna go have this, something. I thought after I was this, gonna be not... happy after this conversation. I'm yeah. like horribly depressed. Now. Looking at a refrigerator full of fine food. Because this is how free. I think about it. I think like, well, Kevin, you're doing it day by day. But then I think like, but what if you lived to be a hundred? Are you really <laughs> not going to eat gluten for sixty-five more years? No, I think you're gonna. Don't you think you'll slowly introduce it back into your you life? You say that we've been gluten-free for three plus years now. Well, I mean, I have to be. Well, I get it, but your affliction is clearly affecting me. Well, we do have separate toasters in the house, meaning dad has one and we have another. I mean, but we don't even really eat carbs right now, too. That's the other thing that we're self-inflicting on ourselves. We try to keep a keto lifestyle, so we don't even eat carbs. I told you that we need to to take keto to almond flour. You see the anger bubbling up in me right now? We need to introduce at least almond flour so I can bake something. Clearly, I've suppressed a lot of anger towards you and your dietary restrictions that are affecting I've tried to be creative. I have stalked a woman on Instagram Mm -hmm. who is a... Remember the pictures that I showed you of the sourdough bread, the gluten-free? Yep. Unbelievable. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous pictures. And she's a cookbook author, and I've stalked her and stalked her. So twice now, she's written t- cookbooks mm-hmm. and asked me to test recipes for her, yep. which was the thrill, joy, and privilege of my life, totally. I want to say. Um, they're all amazing. They're all wonderful. And I believe I'm making a dessert um, in the next couple of days. So for we her. will have some. For well, her upcoming cooking We just book. test it. It'll be Got for it. our household. Yeah, cool. Because it's all gluten-free. Okay, as we wind down, Deb, yeah. what are you thankful for this week? Mm. I am, well, I want to say this. Okay. We have sent the first podcast apps to some friends for review. Mm-hmm. And I am grateful that they have listened to it. All of them have. And the responses have been like, Complete and utter hysteria, I would say, sure. meaning like they're laughing their guts out with us, at us, something. Yeah, I mean, as long as they're laughing, who cares? We about have provided what? at least some entertainment for all of them. But the best compliment of all, and I'm grateful for this, is um, a friend of ours said, uh, who doesn't live here anymore, that it felt like they were sitting at our kitchen table with us yeah. in a conversation. And in fact, what kept wanting to jump into the conversation. So that... I'm really grateful for that. That's great. Mine's not nearly as heartfelt or as sentimental, um, and it's very selfish. I'm just really excited that we're going to have great weather this weekend because we're heading into the 4th of July. We are. And we've had such insane weather around here, which we've talked about before, that the fact that it's going to be like 84 and sunny, which which is like almost perfect. It might be like four degrees too warm, which again is like total nitpicking. And it's going to be a three-day weekend because the fourth falls on a Saturday. So people are going to have Friday off. I think it's just going to be a nice, relaxed, fun-filled weekend that I'm looking forward to. That's nice. And you're grateful for it And I'm grateful for I mean, I'm even, 
I'm forward thinking grateful for it. It hasn't even happened yet. I'm already appreciating it. So future grateful. Future grateful, Kev. So are you mostly grateful for the day that you're going to be at Lake Tahoe? Uh, yeah, I think that'll be a good time for sure. I think that'll be fun. I love being up there. It's uh, We've gone up a handful of times this year and I um, we have friends coming into town. So that'll be nice. I like that one. I like I like future grateful. We'll have to hold on to that. Okay, Deb, we're winding down. What's for dinner? Well, I'm kind of embarrassed to say because it's a repeat. I know we've only done three of these things, and we're about to do the same dinner. I know. Well, I just can't say enough that we make a really good Caesar salad. It's very true. Which we said on the first podcast, um, but it was a chicken Caesar. Mm-hmm. But I believe we're making grilled salmon tonight. And so to make it feel special, I'm usually in charge of the salmon. Right. Yes. So when I season the salmon, I use garlic salt, a little bit of Lowry's, and turmeric. That's a lot of salt. But I use it sparingly. They, okay. they, when you eat the when you eat the salmon, are you ever like, oh my gosh, this is way too <laughs> no, salty? No, I think it's really good. Uh, I use. You don't ever put any Old Bay because I put some Old Bay on. I it don't. Um, I can try. Tonight. No, you don't have to. I like yours. It's really good. And I'll, then we with our salad. I mean, obviously, romaine is romaine. Um, um, but we, of course, don't have croutons, sadly, like, yep. on our Caesar Tragic. salad. But we've got lots of good um, Parmesan, mm-hmm. and we make our dressing homemade, which is really good. That's great. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm sure people are bored by that. We're going to have to definitely totally come bored. up with some new dishes on, on the nights we decide to podcast. But it's going to be – at least I, we know it's going to be good. We know it's going to be good. It's going to be sure. really good. For sure. All right. That is the podcast for the week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and supporting. And as always, like and subscribe and unsubscribe and resubscribe and help us climb those charts. If you like us, share us with your friends. If you don't like us, (laughs) hey, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate that because I don't actively listen to people I don't like. So you decided to. But they should listen one more time to see if we take anything back next week. That's true. I haven't thought or said anything, but I'm going to do a deep dive into this podcast and find things that you wish you would have taken back. (laughs) All right. That's it for us. We will see you all next week. Mama, love you. Love you too, honey. See you guys. Thank you for listening to the Deb and Kev podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. Follow Deb and Kev on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter at Deb and Kev Pod.